Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. I am talking with the co-artistic director of Marageku, Rachel Swain. Marageku is an Indigenous intercultural dance company and they are bringing a trilogy of work to the Carriage Works from the 21st to the 29th of April. Rachel is a director and dramaturg of transdisciplinary and intercultural dance theatre as well as a dance and performance scholar and researcher specialising in creating platforms for Indigenous and intercultural choreographies and dramaturges in dance and in facilitating these in practice-led projects to redefine contemporary arts practices. Prior to Merigeku, she was founding member and co-artistic director of Storkel Theatre from 1989 to 2014. Please welcome Rachel Swain. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thanks for coming on. So I understand you're actually from New Zealand. Where did you, your interest in the arts, and I guess it sounds very physical arts rather than, you know, the traditional theatre. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up on the lands of the Ngaitahu uh, on the South Island of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, I'm a Pākehā of, of settler Scottish, Irish and English descent. I think in New Zealand, um, we, you know, had the great privilege to grow up with a much, as a kind of, as a Pākehā citizen with a much closer relationship to Indigenous culture and experience and art forms um, than I experienced when I moved here to Australia. So the, the, in a way, I feel like my first school was contemporary Maori visual arts and literature um, ah. and activism, I would say. I think in New Zealand, we were, there's a lot of the, the movement of activists and the movement of artists weren't so separated. When I was growing up, my parents were activists. Um, and I was looking at the performance art forms and I, you know, at, at that point in the late 80s in New Zealand, it was really kind of the dance school and the drama school were very separate. Dance was very kind of ballet-based, theatre was very drama-based, and I couldn't see, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I couldn't see it in any of the trainings in New Zealand. So I moved to Australia um, in the late 80s to come to a physical theatre school. Um, I was a fencer, I was in the New Zealand fencing team, so I kind of had this very physical um, practice of my own but it you know I think it was just a whole series of questions and interests rather than any clear pathway uh just I just think I had the sense I couldn't find what I was looking for in New Zealand at Mm. the time I I really have to ask what your parents were activists in what way what were they activating (laughs) Ah, yeah, well, um, I guess I should be specific. My mother's was a, a visual artist and a fencer. Um, and my stepfather was a political activist. And when I grew up, it was, I was a young teenager through the uh, anti-apartheid movement that was a very big deal in New Zealand with the kind of 
um, with the Springbok Rugby Tours in 81 and 85. So I, I was still at high school, uh, but my there was a lot of, my parents and a lot of people around my family were demonstrators and activists and were, you know, practicing in my house. <laughs> you know, people would come in and put newspaper down their fronts and practice lying down on barbed wire so other people could walk over them and <laughs> stuff like that, linking arms wow. and sitting down and making up formations and um, a lot of different kinds of uh, activist stunts and, and kind of this whole dialogue around rugby because that was big in my family too and, you know, standing up and get people stopping playing rugby, which was a really big deal, to protest against the Springbok tour. Um, and I, I was the, the protests were violent and there was a lot of... Um, police violence and batons there was a riot squad so I didn't go to those but I would stay and work in the nursery looking after kids of the parents who were protesting. I think one thing that was really uh, burnt in my brain from that period was hearing Maori activists who really were lending their force to the anti-apartheid practices and against the atrocities in South Africa but also saying at the same time, what about land rights at home? And as a young activist, that really like popped in my brain and I started really moving on from thinking about um, Indigenous art practices, which I'd been really fascinated with, to land rights and uh, activism around Indigenous, um, Indigenous rights at home. So obviously this feeds into, yeah, like you say, the work you're doing now. So how, I mean, I don't know if this is too much of a leap, but let's talk about these three works and maybe kind of is there a connection? I mean, they're obviously not your own work and not your own experience and you're kind of curating the three works, but they all kind of have this sort of sense of, well, I guess the trans ideas, trans intercultural transitions. You told me in your words probably best. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll just tell you a very brief backstory. I'm I'm very privileged to be co-artistic director of Marigeku with Dahlia Pigram. She's a Yaru Bali woman uh, who lives born and bred and lives in Broome, and we have worked together now for 27 years. Wow. And Marigeku was born out of a big um, cross-disciplinary and intercultural project in Western Arnhem Land, working with Bunwinku custodians. We w- were based in on in Gumbalanya in Western Arnhem Land for eight years and we've been based in Broome since 2003 on the lands of the Yaru people, Dahlia's people. Um, so all of our works um, come out of an intercultural engagement and um, a cross-disciplinary arts practice engagement and that's particularly because we learned very early on in our Arnhem Land works that we needed to be able to foreground and background the presence of different realities and different perceptions of space and time and history going on at the same time. And so we very quickly, with with our second work in Western Arnhem Land, we knew we needed to step into visual languages alongside performance languages. And I think that was very much born of the Gunwinku artists working on the work because they were visual artists first and foremost. Mm-hmm. But we were really lucky to work with a very young Warwick Thornton on our second production, 
in Western Arnhem Land. Um, he started working with us in 1999. I think he was just out of afters. Um, so he really helped us. He worked with us on, uh, I think, for the next six or seven years, um, building this language of layering video into live performance, which was, you know, it was all very basic in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, so that strong kind of visual, dram- culturally informed dramaturgy, I guess, has has really shaped our work and has helped given us the capacity to tour into a whole range of contexts. Our first tour was throughout Arnhem Land into very remote communities and our second tour was to Europe. And so we were taking the works into neighbouring uh, other cultural contexts from a, a Gunwinku context to a Jungle one. Um, but then we were touring to Europe, um, to ho- mostly Northern Europe, but uh, and then later on to Latin America. And so we needed to create this layered approach to meaning that could function in different ways for different audience members. So the three works here are Mm. very much an expression and a continuation of that whole lineage of practice Uh in the company. um, The the people who come to see it will see there's a very strong visual arts um, set of languages in the work. We're we're lucky to collaborate with Nicolas Mollet, who's a Kanak. French installation artist who's designed the scenic elements, um, uh, but also um, Emmanuel James Brown's work, the third work. He's a Bunaba Walmajari Gunyandi dancer and actor from the central Kimberley. He really wanted to uh, tell the story of his great, great grandmother, Nuju Stumpy Brown, who's a painter and one of the last nomads to walk out of the great sandy desert um one of the last first contact stories in australia and so Mm -hmm. he's really using her paintings of her birthplace as as a form of for her they were a form of longing for country that she never went back to and for him they're a kind of portal into his own connections through her paintings back to that place that he's also never been to and so we, he uses his dance in relationship to these incredible um, projections of the paintings that have been developed by Sohan Ariel Hayes, who's a Western Australian um, animator who works a lot with desert artists to create uh, kind of living animated versions of their paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of um, crossover between visual arts and performing arts practices in all mm. the work. You you said, well, a couple of things. You said that there is sort of a, a set of languages that is used visually. What is that kind of visual language that you are talking about? I think the essence of it in response to the watch is mm. a way of knowing country and a way of using performance, live performance, um, and transdisciplinary performance as a way of uh, opening up, making visual, I guess, making visual experience of country. And for, you know, I've come to learn from my First Nations collaborators that, you know, country is um, more than a set of places, of course, it's values and knowledge systems. It, 
you know, people mm-hmm. think of it as creation story from the past, but it's a ongoing living set of responsibilities and uh, connections to ancestors who are continuous and present as traces in the landscape and who both act as, you know, country acts, it's not just acted on mm-hmm. in this context. And so I think what is that? Uh, it, it's a way of um, positioning performance as a vehicle to help people see country. Okay. okay. So you've said, like, this is one of the stories that um, the kind of first contact story, but you have many cultures sort of pl- at play in these works. Can you tell me about all of the kind of cultures and also the styles as hip hop and a variety of different kind of styles? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, essentially, we are an intercultural dance company that works in uh, within Indigenous frameworks. And uh, so we really like to position those of us from settler backgrounds, uh, our way of being in Australia uh, within that. And so we do, we always collaborate. We're always intercultural. We always work with artists from multiple backgrounds, but everything is done in acknowledgement of everyone's own personal position, cultural ethnicity, uh, own personal experience and story. And so the first piece in the trilogy is by Benji Ra, uh, who's an amazing Philippinex um, cross-disciplinary performer, performance artist, uh, dancer, uh, Vogue queen and leader of the House of Slay. And Benji <laughs> uh, is collaborating with Melanie Lane, who... Uh, is an amazing um, Japanese-Australian choreographer. And their um, collaboration, I think, you know, Dahlia and I were really interested to bring these two great artists together because we saw in both of their works a kind of an engagement with a cultural uncanny and an influence of applying this to contemporary dance. And so Benji's piece is exploring uh, her part of her home territory in Mindanao, and um, it you know it comes out of an experience uh, of massive industrial change there. But it's a very metaphoric, epic piece. It's a kind of dystopian, futuristic work um, told through the lens of this Filipino story of the Bakunawa a dragon who swallows the moon, which is a metaphor for an eclipse. And so for Benji, it all happens within the world of an eclipse. So it's a very impressionistic, uh, epic, a bit gothic um, dance piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a stunning piece of work. It's very different from anything I've seen Benji do before. So anyone who's a big fan of Benji's and she's got an incredible uh fan base will be I think will be really amazed by this work Mm. so what happens when you take all of these you know different cultures and styles or um it's it's more than just you know showing culture or exchanging culture and making oh this is a contemporary work this is what what happens when you it's it's probably also more than about difference or the same like what is that kind of what happens when you show these works together as a whole I suppose I think um 
Dahlia and I have a kind of wider agenda of challenging perceptions of contemporary dance in Australia now and mm. whose is it, who it's for, where it comes from, what it can be. I think contemporary dance is a very impacted and kind of um, stuck art form area. There's a lot of colonial history um, kind of that's in this insidious layer, I think, with contemporary, a lot of modern dance trainings, a lot of trainings coming out of American modern dance. There was a lot of yeah. appropriation of First Nations dance forms and to the point where there was, uh, you know, practices of eugenics behind some of the uh, so-called pioneers, which is probably a good word to use in this context of American modern dance in, in good and a problematic way. Um, you know, Ted Sean was a eugenicist. Um, Martha Graham, who learned from Ted Sean, practiced what they called ethnic dancing. There was a whole lot of dressing up as Hopi Indians and, you know, just stealing stealing objects, regalia, dance moves, performing them really badly, out, devoid of cultural context with this idea that they're all dying out and we can take it and do it better. And that went on to inform a lot of American modern dance. And so I think we have a, you know, really large scale, broader campaign to bring dance back to in, in our region, in Australia and the Pacific, in the South Southeast Asian region and really engage with places that dance comes from. There's incredible dance forms uh, that are very contemporary, um, that uh, draw, trace amazing connections to traditional dance practices. I think Australia is much more able to or has been more educated in contemporary Indigenous visual arts with the great you know, um, movements that have come out of the central desert and the western desert and, and Arnhem Land, they understand this incredible art movement that connects uh, knowledge of country and custodianship into contemporary expression. And I think that's been, there's less understanding about both how to make that happen mm -hmm. and, and recognising the aesthetics when they are there in dance and so mm -hmm. we're part of a broader you know activism to <laughs> <laughs> to really foster spaces when that can happen so placing these three works i, sh I should say that the second work is a mm. intra-melanesian collaboration so between Torres Strait islander dancer Cess barrow who lives in Broome, where marigaki is based and um, Kanak Ni Vanuatu and Papua New Guinean dancer Stanley Nalo. And they are exploring um, their shared ancestry that in both their families um, partially stems back to the blackbirding or the slavery of people from the South Sea Islands and bringing them to Queensland to work in the sugarcane plantations. Mm. And they are applying their dance languages that very much come out of their traditional practices but also their contemporary forms they have in their bodies to explore that idea and so placing these three works next to each other uh, very much shows the power and the capacity of intercultural and trans-indigenous collaboration um, to bring this change and to open new windows and to share these experiences with broader audiences that 
also acknowledge the own the audience's own position and where they come from when they're looking at the work uh, and what they know and don't know and need to go on a you know learning journey um, to understand more about. So how do you work with these? These have been a, a, a while coming. Is it years? And so what is that kind of process? What is your role, I suppose, as curator, I think you, you're suggesting for this these um, works? Uh, yeah, we're all, um, Dahlia and I put on different hats for different projects. So we have co-curated this program, which, which means um, looking at the artists that are uh, within the company and within our performances that we have the great privilege to work with and kind of getting a sense of who's really got something to tell now and whose practice will be really enhanced by being given the opportunity and then talking to them about what opportunity they would like. Uh, and in each case, um, there's been some kind of R&D work somewhere specific. So for EJB, it was in his hometown oh. in Fitzroy Crossing uh, with some of his elders with his grandmothers and the brother-in-law of Nuju um, to talk with them about her paintings and her life and her stories and to discuss songs that might be in the work and uh, dances and to learn new songs and dances that he would bring in the work. Benji went to um, Cebu in the Philippines with Melanie to, to uh, further develop her Filipino stick fighting that she uses in the piece. Um, and Sess and Stanley had uh, development in Numia in New Caledonia, and we met um, an amazing uh, Kanak researcher there who had been doing a lot of research into the history of blackbirding and had spent time in Queensland and New Caledonia kind of unearthing these stories. Uh, so he spent time talking to the group. Um, so each work had its own R&D period and then they've all had rehearsals at separate times and now everyone's here in Carriage Works working at the same time, um, getting ready to open the work next week. Me personally, yeah. I'm working as the dramaturg on two of the works, on Benji's work and Emmanuel James Brown's work uh, and Dahlia's doing uh, choreographing Emmanuel James Brown's work and she's doing cultural and choreographic support across the three works. Right. And we're both just, you know, check in with everyone and see if there's anything they need to mm. talk through or think about. And um, we've also selected the other collaborators that work across all three works, the composer, okay. Corinna Leto, the designer, Nicola Mollet from New Caledonia, um, the animator, Sohan Ariel Hayes, um, the costume design, Matthew Steig. So that they are, um, and the lighting designer, um, Matt Cox. So they all work across all pieces. Mm -hmm. Look, it just sounds fascinating. I can't tell you how many times I said, wow, during, <laughs> during this, listening to this production and, and your story and everything. And you said unearthing these stories, but also returning to them to the earth in a way I can't help but think. Um, Rachel Sweet, it has been a, a pleasure to talk with you. And have you told your story as well as, you know, over time in this sort of form, by the way, your family and your history? Um, I think in, you know, the pandemic was especially hard for Marie Gaku because we, because our home base is Broome. 
mm. uh, in WA and our second home is here at Carriageworks and we work with dancers both from WA and New South Wales but also from around the world. And so Marigaku was separated by the WA border closure in a way that, you know, other dance companies in Melbourne or Sydney could kind of start working earlier but we were really literally apart. Dahlia and mm. I worked together you know, through that whole period. So um, we did a really big book. Uh, yes. We we made a 25-year uh, a um, kind of retrospective book that go, went through all the shows. And at mm. the end of that book, there's a really lengthy interview with Dahlia and I where we both tell our own stories and um, tell Marigeku's story. So the book's called Telling That Story and it's available at Glee Books. Um, and and at Magabala Books in Broome and Kimberley Bookshop, I think. Uh, so that's and it's yeah, it's got a, like 140 images of in it from across. It's like a family photo album. <laughs> uh, we were really lucky to be able to make this large format, full color uh, book. It's 1.2 kilos of book because <laughs> the pandemic kept going, so we just kept going and adding more chapters. Um, but yeah, if, it's uh, it's a great reflection on Marigaku's. Um, ambitions and the legacy of the Gunwinku work, I think, and and the artists that we worked with, the custodians, we've been very lucky to spend a lot of time with. I will be seeking that out. Rachel Swain, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. That was Rachel Swain, the Artistic Director of Marigaku, and the show opens on the 21st, that's this Friday, and playing until the 29th of April. Just incredible, and that book, telling that story 25 years of trans indigenous and intercultural performance sounds like one to seek out 